All right, church family, uh, let's jump into God's Word together this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. If you're here and you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, there's a copy there at your seat. Uh, we'd love for you to not only use that today, but if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take that home with you. If you know someone who needs one, uh, please take it uh, and give it away. That would be a good use <laughs> of those. So Psalm 127 is where we'll be. Uh, so if you are a guest with us to kind of um, also kind of speak to you about uh, kind of a conviction that we have during this time. So what's happening, like you've seen that we've uh, worshiped the Lord in song and uh, through liturgy and commissioning out parents, but um, we are sending around the Word of God. And so we spend two or three hours right now for me preaching. Uh, and all of our home folks know that that's not too far from reality uh, this morning. We spend our time around the God's Word, and our normal conviction is to preach verse by verse, line by line through books of the Bible. Uh, so if you're uh, going to be a part of this church, that's usually what we do. And so here in a few weeks, we're kicking off uh, another series uh, that we'll be going verse by verse through First Timothy. So in a couple of weeks, we'll be starting First Timothy. Uh, we'll make a reading plan available to you next week, as we do typically. Uh, so if you're looking to kind of do something in your own time uh, in the Word throughout the week, in your own pursuit with your family or individually and your roommates, uh, we'll make that a reading plan available to you next week. Through First Timothy, we'd love for you to track along with us. Uh, our life groups are going to be unpacking more of what we're talking about on a Sunday morning. But we're about to begin our series, uh, First Timothy, looking at what it means to be the family of faith, uh, talking about membership and what it means to be a part of a local church. And that'll take us all the way up until November. We'll do a two-week series um, leading into November on uh, what it means to make disciples and be on mission here. So we'll spend a week looking at local service in our city. What does that look like for us here at this faith family? How do we serve uh, Johnson City that God's placed us in uh, to see the kingdom come here as it is in heaven? And then one week we'll talk about uh, our unreached people group strategy, what that looks like for us to be ascending and mobilizing and equipping church. That's our heart is we do want to love this region, but we are laser sharp focused to go to the nations. Uh, so we'll be talking about that. And then we'll begin our journey in Advent. Uh, which I'm so excited about, leading into the Christmas time holiday uh, season. And so we'll be, you're already talking about December? Come on, man. Like, it's, it's like summer's not even over yet. We're clutching on to the last part of summer that we have. Uh, but for the next three weeks, it's going to be a little bit different. So while we're in between series, I know we just finished up our First Corinthians series last week. Um, but what we're going to do is spend the next three weeks kind of in a vision series, if you will. So this week, uh, we'll be talking about what it means uh, for us to, our family discipleship model of why do we put so much emphasis on the next generation here uh, at this church. And so we'll be talking about today. Uh, the next week, I really invite you to come, invite your friends, especially if you have some people that are, want to check out our church. Uh, next Sunday is what we're going to call the, our Vision Sunday. We'll be talking about uh, our life groups and how you can be connected and be making disciples here at our church, what it means to be plugged in with our college ministry. So many changes are going to happen as our students roll back into town over the next few weeks. Uh, our next-gen ministries and how you can serve in part of this body, how you can be mobilized locally. Uh, so next Sunday, uh, we'll, we will preach the Word for a, a shorter amount of time. That's my hope. That's my goal this week is to whittle down my sermon to 20 minutes or less. You think I can do it? Me either. Um, so sermon, but then also vision day next week. So please come. If you're part of this church, uh, you're not going to want to miss next week to know how to get connected and stay connected here at this church. And then the week after that, we're talking about our, our Go Prayer Service. We do this twice a year. Um, so if you've been around in January, we did this in January. We'll do it again in two weeks uh, where we just take our Sunday gathering. We'll do a short preaching from the Word of God and flowing from what we see, the truths revealed in the Scriptures, we will spend time praying together. And the kind of the focus and the gear to that day is to pray for us as a family of faith that we believe if you are following Jesus, you are a missionary. 
Now, missionaries, how do you define that term? Missionaries, definitely those who cross cultures to go to those peoples who have yet to hear. But we also believe that we're on mission. Like, you're here where you are on purpose. And the lost people around us, we want to have God's heart for those who are far from God. And so we're just going to spend one of our gatherings praying that God would do that work um, in our people. You see that throughout the book of Acts. When God's people gather together, um, His Spirit will mobilize for mission. And we, that we pray for that to happen. So we're going to pray for that in a couple of weeks. And so that's where we're going the next three weeks. Uh, but this week, <laughs> we're, uh, we're going to kick that off by talking about what it means to make disciples in the home. So uh, let me just say a statement that you hear us say a lot. And you've heard us say it at our welcome time. I want to say it again. We, as a church, are committed to making disciples. We say we're committed to that because that's what Jesus has given us as marching orders, is to be followers of Jesus and to see other followers of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life in such a way that affects every nation, every people group of this world. So that's our mission. That's the goal. That's the bullseye of our family of faith, is to be these disciples who are making disciples here and to all nations. So, but listen, that mission begins in the home with parents. It begins in the home. So we're camping out in Psalm 127 today. Uh, and so we, uh, the Durham's read that for us uh, earlier. And so what this is, is it's explicitly one of the Psalms that the people of Israel would have read. Uh, and as we heard, that it doesn't just, just apply to parenting, but he uses parenting as an example of what it means <clears throat> to be the people uh, of God. Just a quick caveat. If you will look up in your Bibles, I don't know if some of your Bibles may say this, but many of well, Psalm 127, before it starts with verse 1, you'll see this little, um, this little phrase, a song of ascents of Solomon. I don't know if your Bible says that, but most translations, most copies of God's Word will, will have that um, subscription there. So here's what that would have meant for the people. A song of ascents was one of the Psalms that would have been sung on the pilgrimage of all God's people when they made their way up to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate certain feasts. And one of the main ones being the Day of Atonement, when they would go to sacrifice uh, an animal for the sins of uh, the people by grace through faith, trusting in the substitute. While God's people are, are being traveling from their different areas where they live in their tribes, they would gather as caravans of families, so extended families with all the crazy aunts and uncles, everybody together, and you would go together and they would sing these songs of ascent together as the people of God. Psalm 127 is one of those songs that would have been sung. And even Jesus, as uh, a Jew, would have sang these songs as he would have went to uh, the temple for uh, to celebrate these festivals. He would have heard his family singing um, these things. So here's why I, pull, I bring that out, why that historical context is important for us, is that this whole idea of parent discipleship and equipping the parents to be disciple makers and discipling the next generation is not just for those of us in the room who have children, although it's definitely for those of us who have children. I mean, that's definitely a, a clear command. But this command to invest in the next generation to see them know and follow and love God is something for the entire people of God. So the Song of Ascents wasn't just for the parent pilgrims. It was for all of the pilgrims going up to Jerusalem. So this is for all of us. So please don't check out. If you're saying, I'm not a parent, I don't plan to be a parent, or maybe my kids are already grown and left. Uh, this has nothing to do uh, with me. But discipling the next generation is the responsibility of everybody in this room who claims um, to follow uh, Jesus. So here's how I'm going to define family discipleship, okay? It'll be up on the screen. Family discipleship is a partnership that we have between the family of faith. So people of God, church, us, coveted together in community. Uh, we are the family of faith. We are brothers and sisters together. 
because God is our Father. He's adopted us into His family. So we partner as a family of faith and the family at home. So there's two gardens in which children are to grow. It's the garden of the home and the garden of the family of faith. And so here's what we do in that partnership to help the next generation find their joy in Jesus. It's all about worship. It's all about the the Shema, the Deuteronomy 6 that we read earlier, about that these kids would love the Lord their God with every part of, of who they are. And so we say this often, but parents are the primary disciple makers in the home, and we exist as, a, as your elders, as your staff team, our next-gen team, we exist to equip parents to partner with them in two ways. We resource and equip parents to be the disciple makers in the home. So if you came to our Parent Connect that we had this morning, I, I thank you so much for those of you who came out. We want to resource our families. We have something called the Family Discipleship Plan that we want to equip parents to be those disciple makers in the home that's one of the ways we partner is to resource and strategize and equip and to come alongside to equip you for the work of the ministry but we also come alongside and support what the parents are doing in the home through programming that we have at this church so right now around on the other side of that wall we may hear some squalls coming from that region of our church here in a little bit because our kids are over across that wall right now learning about Jesus through volunteers who are volunteering their time to invest into our children. And what we teach on Sunday mornings, what we teach on Wednesday nights with one and other things, with our student ministries, uh, it all coincides and supplements this family discipleship plan of our parents in the home. So we say, listen, it's never less than programming. We need to have our structures and the things. You need to drop your kids off and let them be involved in all that we have for them. It is absolutely that. Be involved in the life of our church. But it is always more than that. Discipleship doesn't happen in an hour and a half or so on a Sunday morning for your kids. It must be a holistic effort of parent and church together. That's why when we do a parent commission, we get to see that model. That they're promising to disciple their kids. And we as a church family, not just going, well, good luck, y'all. <laughs> you know, we're saying, no, like, it is your responsibility. You're accountable for those children. But as a community, we're saying that we're going to invest into your children. Uh, so this text that we're in today breaks this down strategically. So again, Psalm 127 is not just about parenting. Uh, So as we go through this, as we talk about discipling, the next generation, hear this, it is for all of us who ought to be investing, pulling back into the next generation after us, equipping them, loving them, causing them to see and love and savor and worship uh, Jesus. And so I'm going to break it down in two ways. The identity of children um, and the purpose of children. We'll walk through this text uh, together. We're going to skip the first two verses, and we'll come to that at the end. So I'm not avoiding it. We'll come back. But let's jump in in verse 3. First, I think about God tells us about children. Why do we talk about next generation? Why are we talking about discipling our kids? Well, God says something here about children, that our kids are gifts from God. They're gifts. So Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, look, observe this, meditate on this, consider this. Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. So he says children are gifts, the rewards from God. So when God blesses us to have children, that, that is a miracle. I mean, it is absolutely a miracle. Our son's um, almost nine months old, and just that whole process of, of how he's been, just been growing, it's, it's amazing. It's from the hand of our God. It's fingerprints of God um, through this whole process. But he says an interesting word here. He calls children a heritage. Or another translation, your translation may say an inheritance. Now, children are an inheritance, a heritage. What is that? So think about it. If you get an inheritance, what did you just receive? What, what is an inheritance? If you think outside of the whole kid 
discipleship realm, what is an inheritance? It's something that is passed along from you from a previous generation, right? That you have to now steward and treasure and then to pass it on to the generations to come. That's what an inheritance is. It's a treasure that we receive and then we pass uh, along. So he calls our children that, that God has given us these gifts. They're blessings, even when they're crazy, right? They're blessings. Kids are gifts from God. But he, he tells us something about what that gift looks like, that they're, they're meant to be passed on to future generations. This is consistent, listen, with the design that God has given the family all throughout the Scriptures. So this model of that God is going to give children to parents who love Jesus and through the community of faith, they're going to teach them the ways of the Lord so that the future generations will know how good God is, what it means to follow Him, and that the Word of God is passed on from generation uh, to generation. So listen, church, to not be intentional with our kids, be it the kids that we have as parents or as a family of faith, to not invest in the next generation is to fail to be obedient to the Great Commission. So we saw that kind of, I'll just be honest, a little cheesy video, right? And when you invest in the next gen, you invest in the future. It almost sounds like kind of, it's kind of odd, but like it's true. To invest in the next generation is to invest in the generations to follow, even the kids that have yet to be born. So what I want to do is just take us on a journey very quickly, okay? I'm going to Try so hard not to preach on all these passages because we'll never get out of here and go to lunch, okay? But I want to take us still on a journey through the Old Testament, just looking at this. So in case you're not sold that family discipleship is something that the church ought to be about and something that you have a part to play in, I want to just show you that this has been God's design from the beginning. There's others that we can look at, but I just want to pull out a few. So Genesis 18, the words will be up on the screen. I just want to read these to us, uh, and then we're going to move on. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So context here. God said, I'm going to bless this guy, and through Abraham's seed, I'm going to make a people for myself among every people of this earth, that my glory would be seen among all nations. How's that going to happen? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. This commission ultimately is the free way for Jesus, our Messiah, to come in. He said it's going to happen through parents investing in their children. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. We read this earlier, so I won't read it to us again. But he says, all these ways of the Lord, verse 7, you shall teach them the words of God, the law of God, diligently to your children. That word teach is Make them, cause them to learn. It's like as if you were etching something in stone. So we say uh, this permanency that is our discipleship, that we teach God's word to our children in the context of everyday life. So he says, as you go throughout your house, talk about the word. As you're on your way, as you go in the city, you talk about the word. As you rise up in the morning at breakfast, you talk about the word. As you go to bed, you talk about the word. That's the context of discipleship for parents. But listen, even for those of us in the room that aren't parents, do we see discipleship through that holistic lens that we're following Jesus in the everyday stuff of life? That's the command. It's to love God, and we do so by causing one another to learn. And in this context, especially to parents to children. Okay, Joshua 24, verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods 
your father served in the region beyond the river were the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. So here's Joshua's reply to that. So people, you must decide what the priority will be in your home. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Literally, we will be slaves to the Lord. Whatever he commands, we will do. Psalm 78, one of the most beautiful psalms about this uh, that I, I want to take the time to read the first eight verses of. Let's uh, look at this on the screen. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Let be ear, your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known. So again, he's all these sayings, the word of God. How is he going to know them? How, is he, how does he know them to utter them? That our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but we will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and of his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. It's a command that the next generation might know those commands, those words, those precepts. The children even yet unborn, and that they may arise and tell them to their children. Why? So that they should set their hope in God, and that they would not forget the works of God, but rather keep His commandments. And they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Again, it's that mandate. If we don't pass along to the next generation, the generations to come, how will they not go the ways of the Father? How will they choose whom to serve if we don't tell them? Ephesians 6, 4, last one. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Well, how are fathers to do that if not in the home? It's a clear command of you, dad, you, raise up your children to love and follow Jesus. And it's a command given to you. There's others that we could look at, but for all of our sanity, just to read the word, I mean, it's a good thing, but um, it's all over the place. God's called us to invest into the next generation. So this is true. There's nothing more strategic. So we're here, and I think we're a church. We talk all the time about mission and seeing people know Jesus and making disciples and see the kingdom come, and we want uh, revival to come, and we want all this stuff. I would argue there's probably nothing more strategic than investing into the next generation, not exclusively, but as a piece of what it means to be on mission to make disciples. So Psalm 127, we're back in Psalm 127. Verse 5, that's why he says, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. If children are that much of a gift, and if they are that awesome and beautiful and strategic and intentional in what God has in designed the people of God to be on mission to all nations, then blessed is the one who has a lot of them, who fills his quiver with them. And this word fills, well, listen, I, I, I want to be so careful um, for those who have chosen perhaps not to have children, or this is not to say that a certain size of family is more godly than another size of the family. Don't let anybody tell you that. That is not uh, a proper context of how to apply this, or that if you don't have kids and you're missing out on God's best for your life. That is not uh, what this means. But it is to say that they are a blessing. And fill literally means to have a sufficient amount of, or to be intentional, to devote as if a priest would devote something in the house of God. So I'm having a sufficient amount of kids to be on a mission to what God has called us uh, to do. And so for those of you that can't have kids, man, we as a local church want to jump into helping with the orphan crisis around the world. So I'll just ask you, man, 
pray about adopting children or entering the foster system that we have partnerships with DCS and others here in Bethany here in, in our city. Uh, we have a program called Safe Families where you can house kids that in between where they go into the foster care system that they just need respite care for two to six weeks uh, in kind of a hard situation where the families are struggling that we can bring kids into our home for a couple months hoping they'll be placed back into the homes. We have that stuff set up and that we're partnering with people in our city. That's not for everybody, but if you are passionate about the next generation, you go, I don't know where to start. My family can't have kids or kids are out of the house. We invite you to enter in. There are children who have no parents and they are waiting to be loved and, and equipped and discipled. Um, volunteer in our next-gen ministries. So you go, how do I invest in the next generation? I don't have kids. And I'm a college student and all this stuff. And we take discipleship seriously to say jump into our student ministries and, next, and elementary and preschool ministries to serve and teach uh, our children about Jesus. There's partnerships that we have in our city, LXI and others that work with at-risk teens and youth in our city that we partner with that you can jump in to help kids that would never step foot into these church walls. And we want to go to them. We want to love them. The question is, if you don't have kids, then invest into the next generation. Um, blessed are the ones who have their quiver full of them. So the identity of children, they are gifts, they are heritages of the Lord, meant to be passed on to future generations. It's strategic. But here's the purpose of children. We've already been alluding to it. But listen, all of that talk about our kids being gifts, and they're for us, and they're for our pleasure, they're not for us. They're not for us. And so verse 4 of Psalm 127, he says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. So I was reading this this week and going, okay, I don't want to like force anything onto the text. So what does it mean when he uses his imagery of children being arrows? Like is this just uh, the Solomon having poetic language here? Uh, but why does he use the word arrow in the hand of a mighty warrior? What's he trying uh, to get at, is there a purpose to this? And I think there is. I want to use, uh, I want to read you something. The words will be up on the screen. Listen to Jim Elliott. I don't know if you know Jim Elliott, kind of from, if you know your missions history. He was a missionary uh, to Central America. And I want you to read what he said to his parents as he's about to leave his home and go in uh, to the mission field, okay? And I want you to hear how he would translate and interpret uh, this verse in Psalm 127. I'll let Oh, Jim boy, say it better than me. Uh, I do not wonder that you were saddened at the word of my going to South America. But remember how the psalmist described children? He said that they were as an heritage from the Lord. And that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of but arrows? And what are arrows for but to shoot? So with the strong arms of prayer, drawing the bowstring back and let the arrows fly. All of them, straight at the enemy's host. Give of thy sons to bear the message glorious. Give of thy wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out thy soul for them in prayer victorious. And all thou spendest, Jesus will repay. This is a boy looking at his mom and dad and go, all right. God said that I'm an arrow. So let me be an arrow, like shoot me out, support me. Don't keep me from the mission that God has called me uh, to be. And I think Jim's on to something here, that what is the purpose of an arrow? They have one purpose if, if a warrior has a hold of it, right? It is to shoot that arrow into the heart of the enemy, to accomplish this mission that God's given. That's what the purpose of an arrow is. So let's pull out and think about this for a second. Arrows will never accomplish their purpose if... Number one, 
The target is not clearly identified and focused on. Right? Like you're not going to accomplish a purpose with an arrow if you don't know what you're shooting at and be able to aim and have the capacity to be able to focus on that arrow. So we got to know what the target is. But then an arrow doesn't accomplish its purpose if it's never let go of and released. So you can have the clarity of the target and you can be laser sharp and have all the skill in the world. But if you do not draw the bowstring back and let it go, uh, the arrow will never accomplish its purpose. And so I th- I think, I don't want to run too much into, into these scriptures, but why do you use this idea of arrows? And it's consistent with all of this about discipleship and God's purpose in the world. We know God's heart for the world. We know God's heart for our kids. We don't know the specifics, but we know one thing, is that He desires to get glory through their lives from them leveraging their lives for the mission of God. And so what if parenting, if children are, yes, gifts from God and heritage we pass down, but what does that passing down look like? For us as a church, we believe that our kids are little arrows that we are training up to shoot out into the world on mission, to leverage their life on mission. So you must ask, parents, I want you to ask this question. Grandparents, ask yourself this question. Why did God give us our kids? Why? There's a lot of answers to that question that I think are right. <laughs> a lot of good ones. They're gifts and all these things that we enjoy. And there's so much that God has designed for the home to be. But one of the answers, and I would argue the primary reason that God gave us our kids, is to shoot them out for God to get glory for the mission of God. I think that's faithful to what we see here in this text. The purpose is to let them go. To let them go, to release them. Have a later sharp focus on God's glory among all nations and to make disciples. That's what we want our kids to spend their lives on. So we're going to be focused on that as a church. We're going to be focused on that as a family. And then we're going to be intentional to just shoot them out. To let them be who God called them to be. And if we're going to do that, it has to always be in the forefront of our mind. It has to be the bullseye that we're targeting here. Um, And listen, let me just make a, a, a pause here. This does not just mean that all of our kids need to go be international missionaries somewhere full time doesn't necessarily mean that. So you're saying, you're telling my kids they've got to leave across the world. Uh, we're not saying that. We're shooting them out on mission here. But I would push back against that desire to say, hey, that's not what we mean. Because if we're not willing for our kids to spend their lives among dangerous, hard-to-reach places, then I don't think we're getting the point of what I think the Scriptures are saying to us here. And I would argue even for those who are called to stay here and not be missionaries or pastors, but be accountants and stay-at-home moms and doctors and engineers and artists, that, yeah, they be who they're called to be, but we shoot them out to be who they are on purpose, on mission. Yes, here in this region or wherever God puts them, but in such a way that it does influence all peoples and all nations. We would should desire and aim and target our kids and the next generation. And for that matter, all of our discipleship should be aimed to send out one another as arrows to whatever God has for us in life. And I think one of the, the issues over here on this side, when we talk about kids as gifts, is that we can begin to really just say, I, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> I think so many times we have a hindrance. Um, we see kids as a hindrance to our lives. So I think so many people, and, I, and we were part of this. We waited four years in our marriage before we had, um, had kids uh, because we didn't want children to get in the way of what we wanted to do in our life. And I think there's some wisdom to that. All God's people said, yeah, like figure out marriage a little bit before you start throwing kids into the mix. But I think there might be an underlying thing underneath that, that we see kids as, okay, I'll have kids if it's not going to cost me anything, if it's going to just kind of be good in my life. Like, 
I don't really see them as gifts, heritage, rewards, and it's a blessing to have a house full of them. Like they almost seem like a hindrance to my little yuppie life that I want to lead. And we want to see, no, 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 they're not. Like they're gifts. I mean, I'm not saying don't wait. I mean, there's not a certain time to do it. I'm just saying check our hearts in that of, our, of a culture at large that we almost have said a smaller family is better because and that may be the case for you, but it's not necessarily the case. We've got to ask ourselves the question, or do we see kids as a hindrance to our lives because we want to live self-centered lives and not be intentional to equip and invest and send out disciple makers. So if that's one lie of the culture, maybe the other lie over here is to say that children are everything in life. So we're saying children aren't a hindrance. Don't believe that. But also don't go on the other end of the, of the road and get stuck in this ditch and say that children are the purpose of my existence. And I see that so much when we talk about parenting. And I think it's kind of the woe of being a church that talks about family discipleship a lot is we never want to go so far over here to begin to idolize our kids. That that's not everything in, in the mission. That kids, our world doesn't revolve around our children. Children are not everything. And I think because of that, we see kids as our identity. So we have so many twisted ways that we do. We want our kids to be something because it looks good on us and all these things. But I think there's a, a, a lie of our culture that I want to press into because I think it's where Psalm 127 is going here. Is that we can become so, because they're everything, they're precious, and they, they ought to be precious. But we are addicted to safety in our culture. Anybody agree with that? I, I think so. We want to be safe. And so the thought of my kid doing anything that's not safe for them or that might cause them risk and harm, to say that I want to shoot them out to an unreached people group where they may lose their life. I mean, no parent's going to sign up for that excited. I mean, right? Like, that's a hard thing. But to say, I'm going to stand in the way of God's purpose for them, or I'm going to be so just characterized by making them comfortable, safe, to get far in life, to get a college degree, or to get that baseball scholarship, or to be healthy, and all these things, and all those things are bad and not bad. They're good, and they're rightful place. But how strategic are we to say, I'm going to, my first priority is to release them for the mission of God even if that's not safe, even if that costs risk, because they're arrows in the hands of a warrior, and we want to send them out. I'm not going to hold on tightly to my things and to my kids. I'm going to let them go because that is the purpose of God for them. I want to read uh, some of this to you from, uh, I'm borrowing a lot of this from Pastor J.D. Greer, has a, a training series on this. It's excellent, and I can give you the resources for that if you'd like and more information about that. But listen to what he says. We're fine if our children never climb a mountain as long as it guarantees they never get hurt. But what if your children were made for the mountains? And he's not saying like mountain man. He's talking about mountain being the venture, the mission of God. Um, your kid might be made for the mountains. Mine might be with this beard I've got going on here. Um, but he says the ultimate mission of the family is not to protect your children from all harm. Don't say don't protect your children. Like, Please protect your children. Uh, my primary job as a dad of a nine-month-old is to keep him alive, you know, pretty much. Like, I've got to protect my kid. But it's not the primary responsibility that I have. My primary responsibility, my ultimate mission of our family is to mobilize my boy and our us for the mission of God. That's why we exist. It is possible for us to hold on to our kids so tightly that we forget the ultimate goal of parenting is to let them go. So I want to read another uh, mission hero named Adoniram Judson. And I want you, especially daddies, imagine getting this letter in the mail from the suitor that's after your little girl. 
okay? Because uh, this is how he uh, asked for this man's daughter's hand in marriage. You ready for this? This is really good. Let's read it on the, on the screen. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. How many dads would be like, all right, get out of the house, boy. You're done. Whether you can consent to her departure to foreign dangerous lands and her subjection to the hardships and suffering of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing immortal souls. For the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from lost nations saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Will you be willing, parents, to say that to your kids? Because the mission is ultimate, and my kid is an heir to be used for the grand purposes of God. And what better thing could I want for my kid, even if that's not safe? So, parents, let me ask you. Is this the primary target that you are aiming your kids toward? Us, as a church family, is this, let me just, is this the target that you're aiming your life toward? One day when you have kids, if you never have kids, next generation at our church, but to see one another in our church, just to hold it like this and say the purpose of our lives is God's glory among the nations to make disciples, and that begins right here where we are. Is this the aim of your life? Is it the aim of your investment? Is it the aim of your marriage? To love God with everything that we have and to release our children, to le- release one another to God's mission for them. Well, it's one thing to say yes to this in our minds, because I know we're conditioned, and we know we need to say yes to that question, because we preach on the cost of discipleship here all the time, that Jesus is worth it. He's better. You add everything over here in my life, on this side, and you put Jesus over here, can we look back and say, I love that stuff. I love my kids. I love my, my comfort, my security, my safety, my pleasure. My... But Jesus is better. That's why we had it plastered on the wall out there. Jesus is better. He's better than anything in this life. And it's worth, even if we risk all things, even our lives, he's better. And his mission is greater than any of our missions in our kingdoms in this world. So we say it. Listen, we can say that. And some of you may say, I don't know if I can say that. And that's okay. Like, ask the Spirit of God, what's keeping me from saying that? Why don't I see Jesus as that beautiful and that good? Um, but if we say yes to that, or at least I want that to be true of me. I want it to be true of my future family. I want it to be true of how I operate with my roommates right now. Um, okay. Does your life and priorities tell the same story? Look at your calendar. Look at your, the way you spend your money. Look at the way that you disciple your kids. Would your kids, if they're old enough, say, that's my parents' priorities, is the kingdom of God and the mission of God. And I think perhaps this is why so many of the next generation walk away from the church Statistics show, and I don't really know how fair those surveys are, but there's so many kids that may grow up in and around the church, and then when they hit college years, they just bounce. They walk away. In some ways, that was, I had some of that tension and that you know, pursuit myself. Um, I know some of what that's like. And I don't know, that's, there's multiple reasons for that. But I think one reason is, is that we've just kind of sold a bored Christianity to one another. 
And we just kind of said, hey, Christianity is about coming to church on Sunday, getting involved in some programs, youth ministry, slip and slides and pizza parties, you know. And like at some point that gets really old. And you go, hey, listen, I've, you're telling me all this. I got to live this life. And I don't know that we're really captivated by the glory of Jesus. And we've never been um, challenged to see the mission of God, the adventure that God has for us. And so you know what? People say, hey, I start to get out here on my own and kind of figure it out. And I can have more fun out here. That's true in a lot of ways. Like I tell all the time, church is a terrible hobby. <laughs> it is. But like, I don't think a lot of our kids, they walk away because they say, you know, I never saw mom and dad really convictionally, really convictionally love Jesus more than anything. It never was real for them. Yeah, they said the right things. They pushed us. We went to church. But I never really saw my daddy read, my, read the Bible. And he said these things, but yet it wasn't true for our family. There's an inconsistency. When I read the Bible and I looked at our lives, like it didn't line up. And then I came to church and I was just perpetually bored. And that's not to say we entertain our kids. Like we want our stuff to be fun, but our goal is not to entertain our kids. Our goal is to equip them and send them out. But there is an adventure out there, the mission of God that we're to shoot our kids into and for all of us. And I think that's why our kids have never been captivated by a better story. Jump into the story of God. If you're here and that's you, you kind of walked away and you're disillusioned of the church. Listen, God... His mission is better, even if it costs everything. I think that's what we're missing because we say, God, you're a million miles away, and I don't know why my kid's not loving Jesus, and we can't never prescribe if you do this, this, and this, your kid's going to pop out to love Jesus. That is not the case, but there are general principles. I think it's so true for so many of us in this church is that if you seem like God's a million miles away, listen, what he's doing is he is on the front lines of the down and out, the least of these, all nations, those who are far from him, he's pursuing them. That's what God's doing in the world. And if you're not out engaging in that, if you're not discipling your kids to be involved on that mission through the local church, yeah, there's going to be a disconnect. God's going to seem distant because that's what he's doing. That's the purpose of our lives. And we can say we're following Jesus, but if we're not engaging in that, I don't know that it's the Jesus of the Bible that we're really following. And He's going to feel like a billion miles away because he's out there. You want to hear and experience God? Get on mission. Make disciples. Teach your kids uh, to do that. So listen, when God designed your kid to be an arrow, when he designed all of us to be an arrow, to treat them like wall art <laughs> and not shoot them out, uh, or shoot them like a piece of furniture, of course they're going to be discouraging. They're going to be discouraged and just walk away. Um, so our kids will not drift toward godliness and mission. They must be aimed there. They must be aimed there. So do you have a plan for your children? Do you have a plan for the next generation? We plan everything. We plan careers. We plan education systems. We plan sports stuff. We plan vacations. How are you planning for the discipleship of your family? To, for them to love Jesus. And again, to my singles or people without kids. This stuff applies to you. Like, what's your plan to follow Jesus? What's your plan to invest yourself in other people? Do you have a plan? I mean, we just coasting through the Word. So listen, do you know the Word? Because our kids are never going to know the Word if we don't know the Word. Do you love Jesus? Are you compelled by the gospel? Because your kids will never love Jesus and be compelled by the gospel if they don't see that in you. Are you, in your family, engaged in the mission of God? And I, I'm so thankful that we put a premium on the family first. And like, don't get so busy doing stuff for God that you neglect your family. But listen, don't oversteer because the best thing for your family 
is to have them involved in the local church and the community of faith. And that is not a shameless plug like for our ministries here. Like if you're not at this church, go to a church that you can plug into. We're not trying to get more involvement in our programs. It's a convictional thing for us. Is that, yeah, we want to guard our families, but to do that outside of the context of the church and the mission, it's not going to do the results that we hope that it will. It's that the thing that you do together. So Psalm 127.1, we're going to end with this. Okay, on all of that. Some good news. Can we get some good news in the house this morning? That'd be awesome. This is all big good news. He gives us an invitation. And we close with this. Trade in anxious striving for restful surrender and trusting God in his work. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You know what he says? You can be so busy trying to build a life, build a home, build a career, do all this stuff. It's absolutely meaningless if the Lord is not in it. If he's not building it, it's pointless. It's absolutely pointless. You've done it in vain. You try to guard a city, if God's not guarding it, you're staying awake with no purpose at all. Busyness, doing all this hard work, does not equal godliness. It doesn't. So don't get busy in the church. Uh, That's not uh, what we're about. We're about trusting this good, gracious God. So I'm going to invite you to bow uh, with me. And we're going to continue to press into this text here in a time of response as our worship team comes up. We're going to do one more song. We'll get out here for lunch here in just a few minutes. So hang with me. Service uh, is not over, okay? Uh, But he invites us into this lifestyle that says, listen, you're so busy striving after so many things in your life, building a home. It's absolutely pointless. And I know that's true for so many of us in this room. Some are trying so hard to live this out right now, and you're weary and you're tired. I just want to say Come to Jesus. I think some of us are paralyzed with fear and anxiety of us never doing enough or being enough. You are afraid of being a failure. The future idea of having kids absolutely terrifies you because you're afraid you're never going to be enough for them. Just talk about being disciples, you're always afraid you're going to be inadequate. There's parents in here right now that you're riddled with guilt because we were talking about family equipping all day and you just feel like an absolute failure. You say, come to Jesus. Others are calloused. Listen, this is true for some of us in this room. We're calloused and we're bitter because of our upbringing. Maybe you grew up in a home where this was not the case. You you look at your parents and almost have a bitter, like, why didn't you love me like this to show me Jesus? Why did I have to learn the hard way? And you're so just cynical. I don't know if marriage will work. I don't know if my family will work. I'm so cynical of the church because, Derek, that was me. I got so bored in the church. I've never, no one's pushed me to be a part of the mission of God and to lay down my life for that. And I'm tired i'm cynical and the thought of investing into anyone or being invested into i just push back against that because i'm calloused come to jesus others of us are riddled with guilt and shame of all the ways that you may have parented wrongly you look back over the years you go man i have not done this we've aimed on a lot of things but the mission of god was not one of them all the wasted years all the missed marks maybe you say Derek, my kids are already out of the house well give it to jesus and start today, wherever you are. Start today. And if this mission that he's called us to, of investing in the one another, investing in the next generation, being the parents that God's called us to be. So you have two options. We can have anxious striving. We can continue on the way we've been going. I'm so anxious. I'm so fearful of never doing it right, never being enough. And I'm striving. Then the Bible says, listen, it's vain that you get up early. And it's vain that you go late to rest. I need that verse. It's empty. All this trying to do it apart from God it's always going to be, like he says, eating the bread of anxious toil. It's miserable. <laughs> it's miserable. But here's the alternative. He says 127b. 
for he gives to his beloved sleep. That isn't just a promise that you'll sleep nine hours a night. The promise is, literally in the Hebrew, he gives to his beloved in his sleep. You know what the principle is? God wired you with limits. You think about that? You have to end at least maybe a day or two or three days just finally going to sleep because you can't do it all. And God did that on purpose for us. To say, I'm going to hardwire the human experience to need to rest and to have to go to sleep at the end of the day. Why? So that we are confronted with the illusion that we have of control. To say, you know what? You're not everything. You can't do it all. And when you lay your head down tonight and you go to bed, God still is sustaining the world. He's, everything you're so anxious about that you're striving, He still runs the show. Even when you're in the bed, zonked out. Trust Him. And the principle is here, He gives you, you even in your sleep. So get up from your sleep and live a life of dependence like that every day. God, I can't do this. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be toiling and striving. I'm going to just release control. I can't be the parent you've called us to be. I, we can't be the church God's called us to be. I can't love and follow Jesus the way God's called us to be. So I'm going to stop being anxious. I'm going to stop trying to be God. And I'm going to say, I get off the throne. Will you run my life? Will you make my kids love you and let, help me, empower me by your spirit to be what you've called us to be at this church? Don't be so anxious and striving and trying to earn God's love. You have God's love to rest. And let that inform your work. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, listen, all of this stuff we've been talking about, it's important, but it's secondary. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, like, he's inviting you to himself. Come to him. If you've never come to a place where you said, I don't know Jesus. I'm characterized by striving after all this stuff. I don't know him. Like, what's keeping you? You don't think he's good or worth it? If you have questions about who he is or what it means to follow him, let's chat. But I think some of you here today, you're ready. You go, man, I, I get it. Like, I want to follow Jesus. And you need to place faith in him right now. You need to turn from your sin, turn from yourself, and you need to trust in Jesus, that he died in your place and he rose again. He invites you to give you a righteousness. He cleans us to where we're not to strive anymore, that we can rest. That's what the gospel gives. Trust His sovereign plan for our lives and to give our lives as He's Lord so we follow Him to the nations and give our lives if necessary to see Him praised by more people. So we invite you into that life. Do it right now. If you have more questions, let's chat after the service. We'd love to walk you through that today or meet sometime in the next couple of weeks. We'd love to answer any questions you have and walk this journey with you. For those of you who place faith in Christ, come tell us after the service so we can walk along this process of baptism and equip you to walk with Jesus in these next days. But for all of us, we're going to sing this song. It's from a psalm in the scriptures. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Like, soul, we're going to praise God. I'm anxious, I'm striving, I've missed it up. We're going to praise God together. So I invite us to stand and let's just sing this out from the depths of our soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul.